electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Today, we're going to break down the name of the morning, and that is Apple, popping after another quarter of record-breaking numbers from services to Mac M1 chips. We're going to discuss. Then, will it be another quarter of Red Robinhood, the name recouping some losses, briefly below 10 today, following results? We're going to break down this hour. Finally, with the Nasdaq on pace for five straight weeks of losses, first time since 2012, where could things go from here? We'll get the latest market action this hour as well, John. Yeah, Carl, let's start with Apple. How could we not? In the green, after reporting its largest quarterly revenue ever, sales growing more than 11% despite any lingering pandemic headwinds or supply chain slowdowns, and there were some, the company beating estimates for sales in every product category except iPads with services now Apple's most profitable business unit, no surprise, bringing in almost $20 billion in revenue and up 24% year over year. And with such a strong quarter, even the bears are changing their diet. Mm, more fruit. New Street's Pierre Farragou dropping his sell rating on Apple. Ouch. One of the few left on the streets. Uh, Julia, you're with us. You talked to Tim Cook. The thing that uh, impressed me the most about this quarter was the Mac. Uh, Silicon transitions often can be messy. I'm not sure we've ever seen one uh, that led to this kind of a revenue bump when you know there's also operational leverage built in here because they're not going to have to pay Intel for these chips. They design them themselves. Yes, that is a successful transition indeed to using their own M1 chips. John, you're absolutely right. And if you just look at each of those divisions, I don't know if we could pull up the wall here, but the fact that they did not only beat expectations, but also set records in every single one of their divisions with the sole exception of the iPad. And of course, the iPad was the one, the, the, the division that was most supply constrained um, by all those different uh, supply chain issues really is remarkable here. Now, the thing that Tim Cook told me that I thought was most notable, and I think was the thing that most impacted the stock, was the fact that he said that supply chain constraints were going to be improving in this March quarter, improving from the December quarter. And it really indicates to me, John, that this is a company that has figured out how to manage their supply chain issues and really grow not only engagement, we saw increasing numbers of subscribers, but also just really dramatically increase their install base. Yeah. Julie, I know so much of the focus is on the supply chain. I'm kind of with John here, too, and that I can't get away from the Macs and the M1 chips. And I got to give you kudos, John. When this announcement came out, uh, was it a year or two years ago now, uh, you said that this was going to be the biggest thing. And look at what I don't know if you knew it was going to be this big. Mac business, sales are up 50% from 2019 revenue, almost $11 billion this quarter, and they're still working through that M1 conversion. Uh, Cook fielded a response to this on the call, Carl. He said that, um, you know, the response to the MacBooks has very much been because of the silicon. And he said this amazing stat that speaks to the bigger picture in China as well. But in that country, six out of 10 sales are to people that are new to Mac. So we're all looking at the iPhone, but, you know, MacBooks is where we're seeing this incredible 
incredible growth as well. And could that make up for some of the anticipated slowdown in the iPhone? Uh, yeah, best gross margins in about 10 years, as Morgan Stanley points out. Total active device installed base up nine. Uh, Katie Huberty, of course, going to uh, 210 uh, from a $200 target. Uh, and making it, uh, reiterating a top pick for 2022. Uh, just a remarkable quarter, John. But uh, we're going to talk to some others in a moment who are more interested perhaps in regulatory scrutiny, app store policy, and the future of China, which are big looming questions. They are, but I, I think investors can think about this. Remember when people were saying, oh, Apple needs a cheaper iPhone because Samsung's going to come in and eat their lunch, and then Huawei was going to eat their lunch. And Apple did do a cheaper iPhone, but managed to arrange the iPhone line in such a way that customers still want the higher-end phone. They've also built in so much vertical integration and differentiation, that's why they're able to maintain these margins. And Deirdre, I did think that it was potentially this big, the M1 transition, but not just because of the Mac, because Apple is taking on another leg in vertical integration. And mm -hmm. it's not just about top-line growth here, because people are saying, oh, well, how can you sell as many of anything as you've done the iPhone? If they can run efficiency and performance through their entire line, think of the profitability they can expand there, even if they're not growing the top line yet in this cycle. If then they do come out with an AR VR headset or a car yeah. or whatever, there's your top line. Uh, but uh, hey. <laughs> It fits right into that idea of vertical yeah. integration. Cook was asked on the call last night, you know, where do you look for in terms of areas to invest? And he says the intersection of hardware, software, and services, right? So that gives you an idea if you're thinking about the mixed reality headset, guys, uh, what, where Apple wants to be in any market. They want to integrate everything. And, you know, this quarter shows that they're really firing on all cylinders there and maybe one of the few companies that can do so. Yeah, just Guys, look at the growth of the Apple Watch. I mean, interesting... Interesting to note, Carl, that two-thirds of Apple Watch buyers in the quarter were first-time buyers of that device. And in terms of that mixed reality, that potential AR headset wouldn't be tech check if I didn't try to mention the word metaverse, Carl. <laughs> Tim Cook did get asked a question about the metaverse on the call, and what he said was that this is an area they see potential in and are investing in, though no details on that AR headset just yet. Uh, Julia breaking, joining us to break things down in terms of Apple on the numbers, one of the top analysts on the street, Bernstein's Tony Saganaki. Tony, it's great to have you back. We've said a lot of nice things about Apple in the past few minutes. Uh, what is there to worry about? Um, look, I, I think it was a, a great quarter. And as you both, you all highlighted, um, the most notable things were their biggest businesses really firing on all cylinders, services growing 24% against a year-over-year -year comparison of 24%. I think the worry had been, you know, that services would, would slow significantly with tougher comps, and, and it's held in remarkably well. And, and it does appear that we are going to have another pretty good iPhone cycle uh, on top of what was a pretty good iPhone cycle last year. So, look, I, I think for the most part, uh, this was really a reaffirming quarter uh, for Apple investors. Um, I think it's always important to think about what is on the other side, as you asked, John. And look, Apple's doing terrifically well in China. Um, there's obviously tail risk geopolitically, but I think more practically, the question is, as, as competitors get their supply chains uh, in better order, will there be more competition? Um, typically, Chinese consumers uh, are quick to upgrade on new technical features. Um, and we've had a 5G phone, and, and China has really embraced that. 
Uh, we've seen with other products before, they embrace very strongly for a concerted period, and then we have some slowdown. So the sustainability of China is certainly uh, a question in my mind. Um, I think regulatory will always be a question um, for the next several years around Google's payments to Apple's and around the App Store. Uh, but in general, look, I, I think these are things investors need to be cognizant of. But it was a it was a very reaffirming quarter, I think, in terms of uh, Apple's prowess in the marketplace. Yeah, I'm thinking you mentioned Google. I'm recalling a note from August by you, Tony, where you you had an estimate on what Google pays to be the default search engine on iOS. And you said it, it's not implausible uh, that my, they could revisit that strategy. You still feel the same way? Yes, uh, I do. And the amount is, you know, we think $15 billion last year, probably, you know, closer to $19 billion this year. It's effectively all profit. So we're talking about almost 20% of the profits of, of, of Apple that are coming from, uh, you know, from these payments from Google or, or double digit percentage. So that's a really, really big number. And obviously, Google could have a change of course and say, look, our, our search engine is powerful enough that we don't need to be the default. People will pick us. Or the other risk is, is regulatory, where regulators say, we don't like this cozy relationship. It's, in fact, something that, Google, that regulators have highlighted in their suit against Google in the U.S. We don't like this cozy relationship with Apple. You have to provide people with a choice. And if there'll be a choice, it's unclear Apple will collectively get paid $19 billion a year uh, for people to be part of a, a, of a choice screen on, on iPhones. Tony, I know that you're looking at valuation and you do see Apple as being more expensive relative to Alphabet and Facebook um, and that, you know, growth is likely to be slower in that long term, I think largely based off the iPhone. But, you know, could you could Wall Street have predicted that wearables and accessories would be a what nearly 15 billion dollar segment, the sort of extraordinary growth of the MacBook? Do you think that there are products in the pipeline like a mixed reality headset that could make it actually grow a lot faster than you're anticipating. Yeah, I think, look, I think valuation and growth are, are really important questions. Uh, the stock is fundamentally doing really well. The investor question is, you know, is the stock attractively valued? And, and we think uh, risk reward is, is pretty well balanced where Apple stock is. As you mentioned, it's trading at about 27 times this year's earnings. That is higher than some of the other FANG peers, most notably Facebook and Google, which I think most people believe have longer-term higher growth rates. The challenge for Apple is, in part, its huge revenue base. It's a $400 billion company uh, this year in revenue terms. And, um, and so you really need, if you introduced a product that was $50 billion in five years, it would only add two points a year to growth. Um, you know, it's it's... That's that's part of the challenge for for Apple. And so um, we certainly don't want to detract anything from the company's tremendous ability to have built this this services business that's growing strong double digits, plus introduce, you know, new new products like AirPods and like the watch and mm. and um, and others. And so we don't want to discount that that possibility or that probability that new products will come to market. But there is the reality of the revenue base, right. and there is the reality that the, the iPhone is likely going to be a slower growth business than some of the others at Pierce. And the, the new products, even if they're 
good long term tend to take a while to ramp. I think about the Apple Watch and even the AirPods, and it took a long time for them to get sort of broken out and talked about in a way, you know, people were focused on Amazon Echoes and why isn't Apple doing that? Uh, and, and it took a couple of years for, for people to catch up. But w- one concern that I would have looking at this is this growth in the Mac. That comp could be tough, right? I mean, there have been a lot of complaints about Mac design, uh, you know, maybe performance hadn't set them apart as far. They're getting this great cycle right now, but it might not continue like I, I, at the same rate anyway. Is that something you're factoring in? Yeah, I, I think that's that's an open question for sure, John. And it extends not just to Mac, but to some degree to iPad. So we, we know that COVID benefited companies that sell into the education space and that sell to consumers. And so Apple's iPad and Mac businesses both benefited. And now they've had this M1 upgrade cycle. So as, as you guys talked about in your introduction, Macs are up 50% versus where they were a couple of years ago. Prior to that, they hadn't grown at all. And so there is some risk both on the Mac and iPad business over the next couple of years that you could see more muted growth or even you know, some quarters where growth turns negative as you, as you play catch up there. Tony, uh, quite a quarter. Big talker this morning, as you well know. Always good to get your take as well. Uh, Talk to you soon. Bernstein's Tony Zaganaki. Meantime, guys, software is one sector. We've been talking a lot about it. It was a huge pandemic winner, but we've seen indiscriminate selling since November. The iShare software ETF down more than 20% in that time. But are some of these names deserving of their high multiple? Atlassian making the case this morning. Shares popping after a revenue and an earnings beat. The company also providing upbeat guidance. Look at that. Shares are up more than 10%. It's adding to the strong results that we have seen from Microsoft, ServiceNow, Qualtrics this week, boosting Morgan Stanley's view that the software sell-off is disconnected from underlying fundamentals. Guys, we have talked a ton about this, that you can't just paint every software stock with the same brush. They've seen brutal sell-offs, but we've really seen you know, a difference in performance over the last few weeks even. I keep going back to names like Snowflake and Datadog, ones that are kind of just under the surface, off 80, nearly 90 percent from its 52-week low. Snowflake is off 32% from its 52-week low. So there are certainly names here, and that's why this earnings season is so crucial for the software sector. You're going to start to see the ones with the real fundamentals separate themselves from the ones that perhaps were overhyped. Yeah. Uh, And Carl, I know that's why I, you know, here on Tech Check with you guys, keep asking analysts and people, well, how are you valuing stocks in this market? Was it Morris Mark who we had on who said, you can't buy anything uh, that isn't uh, that isn't profitable, that, that isn't generating cash. Um, and I, I think for certain people, perhaps, who are short-term, if you're running a hedge fund, okay, but if you've got a long-term view and companies have sound technology, loyal customers, high growth rates, I think you've got to be thinking about, well, how am I personally valuing this if I'm planning to hold on to a stock for you know three to five years? Where's the entry point? I, I don't know the answer to that. That's not what CNBC pays me for, but I definitely think it's a valid question when we look across some of the changes in enterprise software, DevOps, mm-hmm. things like that, Carl, that we've been talking about. Yeah, it's a real tug of war, guys, between the pace of innovation, which the bulls argue uh, continues apace, uh, and the cost of capital, which is obviously a much changing picture uh, over the next year, we think, at least or so. Uh, That said, John, uh, at least two upgrades that I counted this week of snow in particular, Piper yesterday and Loop earlier in the week to overweight. We'll, We'll watch those. We will for sure. 
And while Atlassian and Apple are jumping post results, it's not all paradise for some other tech names. Another rough quarter for Robinhood. We will break it down next. It is up a little better than 3% so far today. Tech Check, just getting started. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Time for a gut check on another earnings mover of the morning. Robinhood once down double digits after some disappointing results, but now recouping all of those losses and firmly in the green, the light green, that is. Kate Rooney is here to break down the numbers for us. Kate. Hey, Dee, that's right. Yeah, it's bouncing back a bit this morning, but there had been fears on Wall Street that Robinhood's growth days were really before its IPO. This report didn't do a whole lot to change investors' minds. A quick recap. Deeper than, deeper than expected losses after being profitable a year ago, also lower guidance for Q1 than what analysts had been looking for, a slowdown in monthly users and increased expenses. All of that weighing on the stock. It fell to near 10 bucks a share, as we said, recovering a bit this morning. But remember, that stock listed around $38 and it's down roughly 85% from that all-time high. CEO Vlad Tenev fielding some questions about the stock from shareholders on the call. One in particular was really what happened to the share price since the IPO and what steps are you taking to turn it around? Let's not sugarcoat it. We've been disappointed with the stock price over the past few months. The way that we're thinking about it is, as I wrote in my letter in the S1, we're never going to be sacrificing long-term performance or what's right for the company to make a quarter. We're focused on the long-term. We have an exciting roadmap. That roadmap really was the focus of the analyst call. Robinhood plans to launch retirement accounts by the end of the year. They talked about crypto wallets having 2 million people on that wait list, and it should roll out by mid-year. ACAT's in as well. That's a wonky term for letting people transfer money in to Robinhood from other brokers. They talked about international crypto expansion, and they renegotiated some partnerships with market makers for better economics on the crypto side, as well as hyper-extended trading hours. I also talked to CFO Jason Warnick about the quarter. He said revenue is still really correlated to market conditions, so it can be pretty hard to forecast. January had been slower than last year, at the end of last year. But in the past couple of days, with the market volatility, it has started to pick up. So potential bright spot for Robinhood there. Back to you. Kate, that's so interesting. You know, revenue 
he admitted, was correlated to what's happening in the markets. But so is their larger strategy in a way. There was, I think it was the last question on the call. They were asked if the meme stock era is over. And if so, they have so much capital deployed on their balance sheet in case we ever saw a GameStop situation once again. So they can't really deploy that either because they don't know if something like that is going to happen and they don't want to be flat-footed. This is money that they could be using to upsell or cross-sell their users, and they just can't do that. So it's kind of a catch-22 for Robinhood. Where do they go from here? Exactly. That's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think it was Rich Rapetto from Piper Slamlet that asked that question. They've now got about 20 times the capital needed for their clearing broker. So they're really trying to be mindful after GameStop and what happened last year. So for investors and for the future of the business, that's a good thing. It's really a capital-intensive business. They have to hold a lot of cash on their balance sheet. But like you said, a catch-22, they cannot spend that cash. The majority of their corporate cash they really need on a daily basis to meet those requirements. So a good reminder of how much it costs to run a business like this and to run a broker. But they're really not able to run and gun and do a ton of M&A and spend that cash. They've got to hold on to it. So I think that is, that's an open question. Jason Wernick on the call said that they're working on getting more capital efficient and finding mm-hmm. ways to try to spend that cash and raise more cash and, and work at it. But it's a very young company. This is only their third or fourth quarter as a public company. I think they're still figuring that out, but expensive business to run. Yeah. Um, thanks, Kate. In meantime, fintech is a pretty broad field into it. It's also interested in crypto, but not in the way you might think. Rather than encourage people to trade it like Robinhood or PayPal, the financial software maker is building tools to help customers keep more of their money. I spoke with CEO Sasan Gadarzi about it yesterday in a Fort Knox one-on-one. I chose for now not to get into stock trading when it comes to cryptocurrencies because we actually felt like there wasn't enough uh, education uh, as to uh, one, tax implications to the upside and the downside. And then if you start launching products in a speculative market, it actually is against our mission, which is to power prosperity in the world because you know, yeah, one day you could have a huge upside. The other day you could lose everything that you worked so hard uh, for. And the majority of people around the world live paycheck to paycheck. And it's some of these same folks that are, they're trying to see if there's a way to make some quick money with, you know, currency trading. And we just felt like uh, that is not who we want to be, you know, known for. Carl uh, Sasan told me that about three months ago, he was getting lots of questions about why aren't you doing this or that? with crypto and not so much lately. Uh, It does raise a larger question, guys, about uh, financial services and some even argue financial media, Robinhood as well. And that is, D, do you need uh, asset inflation uh, to keep growth going or is Mm -hmm. volatility enough? And that question has been revisited cycle after cycle for decades. Yeah, and Robinhood just on the exact opposite side of that, right, talking about leaning into cryptocurrencies, uh, becoming more international. This is going to be a conversation we're always going to have, guys. Crypto down now, so you have CEOs coming out and doing a victory lap, saying that we're not tied to that kind of volatility when it's up. We'll be talking to ones that say, look at how smart we were. We bought at these levels. So uh, certainly an involving one, Carl. But in the near term, Carl, uh, you know, Sasan also saying, hey, tax season is coming up. There are a lot of people who bought stocks, bought crypto, bought all kinds of things, are doing gig work. And so they're working to build all of those capabilities into TurboTax to help people manage it. So one might argue that they win either way. 
Yeah, uh, complexity uh, on the regular seasonality of taxes is a big issue. Uh, John, well said. As we're close to session highs here, uh, as you noticed, Robinhood's gone green, S&P's gone green, back to 4363. Meantime, not all fintech names are created equal. Buy now, pay later company affirm in the green as well. After getting named a top pick by Mizuho, an upgrade over DA Davidson. A lot of talk about uh, delinquencies and their managing of credit. Don't go away. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Resetting here near the bottom of the hour. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Got markets in the green here, unwinding some earlier losses, as you might have heard before. Atlassian and Apple leading the charge. You got the VIX below 30, the 10-year below 178. Some decent inflation wage data uh, this morning. Uh, Goldman analyst Rod Hall calling this a very strong quarter for Apple. We'll hear why in just a moment. First, though, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Consumer sentiment dropped this month to its lowest level in more than 10 years. University of Michigan lowering its reading in part due to rising COVID and inflation concerns. During December, consumer spending fell six-tenths of a percent, even though personal income increased. Chevron share is falling on disappointing fourth-quarter profits. That's despite rising oil and gas prices. Chevron's stock price did hit a record high yesterday and are still up almost 10 percent this year. Caterpillar leading the declines on the Dow, falling 6%, although the Dow is higher now. Fourth quarter earnings were strong, but the heavy equipment maker warns that first quarter margins could be squeezed by higher production and labor costs. Visa, meantime, the biggest gainer in the Dow. It's extending stock gains following earnings after the bell and is now up more than 7%. Some analysts also raising their price targets following strong growth in travel and e-commerce spending. John, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. Now let's take a closer look at Apple's earnings. Our next guest has been bearish today, though, increasing his price target from 142 a share to 161 on those results, raising estimates for revenue and gross margins as well. Joining us now, Goldman Sachs analyst Rod Hall. Rod, tough to be bearish on Apple after a quarter like that. But you're, you raised your price target, but it's still lower than where the stock is trading today. So explain why you think that all this good news is more than baked in. Yeah, I mean, and just to be clear, we've got a neutral rating. I keep telling you guys that we um, we don't have a sell on it, so we're kind of in a holding pattern on a lot of this Fair consumer enough. electronics. But, you know, if, with a stock like this, a neutral or a hold is almost like a sell. Like nobody dislikes Apple or Amazon. It, it seems like so. Yes. Uh, well, you know, you know what's funny about that? Um, if you look at Apple last year. The stock basically performed in line with the S&P 500 most all of the year. So you would have been, if you'd bought the S&P 500, you'd have had the same returns. So the 
you know, now at the at the tail end of the year, it did perform better. So you had a little bit of outperformance the end of the year, but only about, you know, 6% gain versus the S&P. So, um, so yeah, neutral was the right call last year. Now we'll, we'll see what happens this year. Um, clearly though, nice to end a tough week in equity markets with such a strong rapport and a positive indication for consumer demand, which I suspect we're going to see through other retail reports as well. I mean, clearly the consumer ended the year very strong, particularly Apple consumers. Now, given, Rod, that Apple seems to be weathering supply chain issues better than a lot of names, their customer loyalty and their ability to differentiate on product has allowed their margins to hold up. Uh, and the M1 seems to be doing well, arguably paving the way for more vertically integrated devices down the line, perhaps uh, an AR, VR headset, a car, what have you. Uh, is that just not good news? Is that not something that you believe in? Or is it so far off that it's too soon to give them credit for that stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, those are all speculative products. Of course, Apple doesn't provide much of a roadmap to anybody. We do think they'll do a VR um, product. We think that'll probably be in early 23, not 22. And we're not completely sure how big that product will be from an earnings point of view. A car is much easier to do the math on. Uh, just very difficult to get enough earnings contribution from that to matter. So you still have a company here that's very tied to the iPhone. We do model Mac share increases. So we, we actually are above street on our Mac model because we think those M1 products are extremely good and will continue to take share in the PC market. So, you know, there are elements of Apple we're very positive on. Um, it just, you know, I put it in perspective for you. The, the company's CAGR of revenue was 7% for the five years up to 2019. Um, last year in 2021, revenue grew 33%. So, and the, and the last time that happened, by the way, was when they launched the iPhone 6 in 20, late 2014. So their fiscal 2015 year, they grew 29%. But that, they also launched into China that year. So that was the famous super cycle year. The year after that, revenues declined over 7%. And we don't have revenues declining this year. We've got them growing a little bit. So, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of historical perspective I think you need to have here as well. Not to say Apple's not a good company. It's just, you know, these are phenomenal numbers. Um, and, and that goes for all of consumer electronics, not just Apple. Everybody's had just an unbelievably positive result period here during COVID and these lockdowns. Right. So are you arguing that it's a, it's a one giant pull forward here, Rod? It doesn't sound like it. But I'm also curious to know whether or not you think of it as value or growth, because the print reads like growth. But there's a big argument that in a rising rate environment, it is defensive. It is value. Yeah, that's I mean, there's they're definitely a defensive nature to the way the stock has traded here uh, in this. I would call this an early phase of, you know, this um, inflationary environment and interest rates rising and so on. Whether that will hold up or not is unclear. We clearly have this view that medium term, and I'm, I'm talking over the next year, 18 months, 24 months, Apple will struggle to grow just because the the subscriber base is only growing at, you know, lo mid to low single digit sorts of rates. And then your ARPU is probably going to reverse. We do think there's been some pull forward of revenue here that'll reverse. And that's not just Apple. That's a whole bunch of different consumer electronics names. So um, it does trade like a some kind of a mix between defensive and growth. It's in that special mega cap category. So it has a, you know, a, a trading dynamic that's different from a lot of stocks. Um, 
But, you know, we'll see how that plays out over the year. And, and mm-hmm. you know, frankly, we don't know whether value will continue to get this bid that it's been seeing or, or won't. Uh, we, in, our, in our ratings, we are kind of set up that way. We have some value stocks like Dell. We just upgraded Corning. We have names like that that we're positive on that fall into that value stock category. Hey, Rod, it's Deirdre. Good morning. You were cautious going into the corner, into the quarter, warning about slower momentum and the Chinese challenges. Apple certainly delivered on that front. And a moment ago, a few times, actually, you grouped an Apple with other consumer electronic names, whether that was for the pandemic bump or pull ahead or a slowdown. But do you not allow that Apple could be an outlier or an outperformer when it comes to things like supply chain, innovation, diversification, which is why many of your peers see it um, performing better than you do? Well, it, yeah, it is it, within the consumer electronics category It is by far the best quality company. There's no doubt about that. And they're first in line for supply chain. So there's, you know, also no argument there. But then you've seen everybody doing extremely well. So it's very hard to, you know, it's hard to disconnect Apple from all that other benefit. Just common sense tells you, hey, if all these other consumer electronics companies are doing well, doesn't some of that COVID benefit also accrue to Apple? It's not as if it didn't get any benefit from that. So it wouldn't make any common sense to assume that Apple's not benefiting. Is it a better company than a lot of those other companies? Sure it is. It's a great company. But, um, you know, but like I say, we've seen it across the board here. So we'll see. I mean, the one thing that the reason we're neutral, most of these consumer electronics names is because nobody really knows when this is going to reverse. Most people think it will. Uh, but, you know, and it may not reverse. We, we, we leave uh, all these names on neutral. That, that tells you we also have the possibility to upgrade if we think that, you know, that things aren't going to reverse. And it turns out that this kind of demand is sustainable into the future. But it's really a timing question, I think, more than anything is when, you know, when will these um, this high demand that we're seeing yeah. reverse? And, I, you know, that's been true all through COVID. There's a whole bunch of things that we've had a hard time predicting, like when will people go back to work? <laughs> Quite a few things. Um, you know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of things in a hundred year pandemic that are tough to predict. Indeed. Uh, Rod Hall, neutral, neutral on yeah. Apple from Goldman Sachs. Neutral. Thank you. That's right. Neutral. We've got to reiterate that. Um, <laughs> thanks guys. Meantime, uh, if you're looking for another earnings name in the green, check out Visa seeing a nice pop today after beating estimates with quarterly revenue topping $7 billion for the first time. Also, one of our next guests' top picks, along with a chip name. Find out why after the break. Don't go away. Major averages in the green now as we prepare to close out what has been an extremely volatile week. The Nasdaq on pace for its fifth week lower in a row as tech continues to feel the pain. Our next guest is here with two ideas, Visa and Taiwan Semi. Joining us now, Wedgwood Partner CIO David Rolf. David, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Both those names, though, they have held up relatively well amid the tech sell-off. Does this mean that you're sort of value hunting mode versus bargain hunting in some of the most beat-up names? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, some of the bigger well-known companies that we typically invest in, they've come down enough. They have fundamentals that are actually accelerating. So, I mean, we're not overthinking it. We're trying not to chase some of these stocks that have been cut in half or, or down 70 or 80%. And all they have is maybe some revenues and they may not even be growing. So the market is serving up some nice opportunities. It's, it's, it's nice to, uh, to get the chance to swing a fat or bad. Okay, the fintech space is certainly one where we've seen valuations come down. So your call on Visa, does that mean that you 
don't think that there's, you know, an opportunity there? Or are you seeing some of these names, whether they be in, you know, a Robin Hood, which we talked about earlier, which has fallen so much, or, you know, buy now, pay later name that could be ripe for the picking right now? Uh, again, we're not going to overthink it. We've owned Visa for years. We've been buying it uh, of late. It's one of our larger positions. And, that, and there was the narrative that, again, the stock was, go back in a year or so, it was a little pricey. But this narrative that they're going to lose market share versus some of these uh, startup fintech companies, I mean, it just wasn't the case. I mean, these companies are partners. They ride on Visa's rails like Square and PayPal, Klarna, Coinbase, Stripe. I mean, they're all partners and now that the world is opening up post-COVID, the all-important cross-border uh, uh, revenues were up 40% year over year in, in, in the quarter that Visa just reported. And here's a stock. It's 28 times this year's earnings, maybe 23, 24, uh, 2023. Um, probably one of the most dominant business models in the world. So uh, uh, that's what we've, we've recently added there, and we're, and we're glad that we, that, that we have. Yeah, it's pretty interesting comments from all the legacy credit card companies this week about consumer activity, David. Although, you know, so much attention being paid to just how much uh, the Fed wants to tap on the brakes and already signs of some uh, caution at the household level. Uh, do you just worry about that? I mean, not just for today's trade or next week's trade, but I'm talking the next several quarters, uh, this sort of slow pressure on equities as we get into rate hikes and maybe QT. Yeah, Carl, I'm really worried about it. In our last chat, you know, I talked about this idea that the Fed is kind of in its own hotel, California. Uh, I think the new narrative, or not the new narrative, the new playbook, Carl, is that we have a, a, a generation, at least one generation of investors and, uh, and traders who have never dealt with a Fed where they've probably taken away the Fed put or really lowered the strike price, and now they're going to be fighting inflation. It's a new playbook, and um, I th instead of buying the dips, we might be selling the rips. And you, and again, the rips in a bear. I think we're in a bear market. The rips in a bear market are ferocious, and when they fail to make a new high, it's just a constant drumbeat. It's a whole other psychology. And so we, um, you know, we're going to do bargain hunting, but uh, I think the Fed's in a tight spot and they're going to go inflation first and Fed put, if it's even there, later. Dave, we want to go back to Visa for a moment. If I'm reading this right, you had more uh, PayPal than Visa. Now, I think you said you're adding to Visa. Is your calculus shifting on where the opportunity is in, in digital payments and fintech and, and the, the digital movement of money or no? Those, uh, those holdings may be a little bit dated. Uh, Visa now is, uh, we haven't added to PayPal and we've added a couple of times to Visa. So Visa right now is our third or fourth largest holding. Yeah, and so I guess that's what I'm, I'm getting at. If that is the case, which it sounds like you're saying it is, when you look at the broader landscape, what are the kinds of companies positioning wise that you're more interested in in this space uh, that has caused you to shift that balance of, of Visa versus PayPal adding there. And I'm thinking about, you named a bunch of companies that are riding the rails of Visa. To what degree right. are those companies interesting? Well, um, certainly, <laughs> if the market continues to get hit, again, not to, I mean, certainly PayPal is on our short list. And uh, they had, it's a different dynamic, a slowdown there. The valuation was really high. 
probably one of the most expensive stocks in our portfolio. We probably should have trimmed it back some time ago even more. But uh, PayPal is certainly on our our short list. We understand the business model better than some of the other names that I mentioned. So those are the two that we're going to stick with. And And if the market gives us an opportunity, those two stocks will be among our largest holdings. What kind of time frame are you looking at for a visa in particular? I mean, we have spent so much time talking about the disruption that it faces. It's sort of unable to do some big M&A, as we saw with Plaid. Perhaps that's changing. But the whole idea of DeFi, Web3, doesn't that ultimately sort of take down the bull case for visa in that longer term? Or do you think that that's sort of over overhyped? Our view is that it's, it may be overhyped. Again, this idea that um, a lot of these other type of, of, uh, of payment um, uh, plays, are cert- they need to partner with a Visa or a MasterCard. So we think there's, kind of, there's certainly a push-pull there. Uh, there's positives and negatives. And again, to your first question, we typically hold stocks for years. And so we're not worried about the next quarter or two. Well, we worry about everything. But you know, we're looking multiple years out. And, uh, and that's been our playbook for the past 30 years. We, uh, we only own 20 stocks. And we typically hold them for many, many years, as long as the business is doing what we expect it to do. David, thanks for your insights. We'll talk to you again soon. David Rolf, Wedgwood Partners. Thank you. We are just about a third of the way through earnings season. Alphabet, Amazon, AMD, the tech earnings are going to continue in the coming days. We'll talk about what to watch. Plus, we know you can't get enough tech check. Be sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcast with the Dow going positive for the week, up 112. Gut check on Teradyne, the semiconductor testing and robotics company. Shares are recovering from earlier losses, but they're still in the red after plunging 25% yesterday. Earnings, they were strong. It is the guidance that's hitting the stock, leading to at least five price target cuts. It has been a rough start to 2022 for Teradyne, down 35% year to date. Stay with us. Tech Check is right back. What a week of earnings we've had to digest, but guys, the tech earnings train is going to continue into next week. A bunch of big names to keep an eye on, including AMD, Alphabet, PayPal on Tuesday, Meta, Qualcomm, Spotify make up Wednesday's highlights, and on Thursday, <laughs> Amazon, Snap, Pins, <laughs> and more, D. Uh, it is going to continue. We're going to start cooking with gas here. Yeah, get your rest this weekend. It is going to be a busy one next week. Uh, Amazon will be interesting, right? We've talked about it a lot, the underperformer in terms of the Fang names or the mega cap names uh, down, what is a 15% year to date? So well into correction territory, John. Uh, kind of like there's so much for these big tech companies to digest. You've got physical stores, you've got cloud, you've got their growing advertising business, streaming. Uh, that'll be a good one. And there's plenty more. What are you looking at for? Well, with Amazon in particular, I'm interested in AWS cloud growth versus what we saw from Microsoft. And what Microsoft projected was probably more important than what we saw in the actual results from them with that big turnaround after hours that we saw. With Qualcomm, it's the the overall mobility market and the degree to which they're growing beyond smartphones. They are trying to emphasize that right now, and it's a big nod to the future that a lot of people see. But then probably the most important dynamic to me, Carl, is Alphabet and Meta versus Snap. Snap has come down so much, and there's been talk about IDFA and the iOS changes and their impact. Has Snap sold off too much? Might we see a bounce from it the way we saw from the ServiceNows and whatnots? Or, you know, was the run-up in Snap overdone versus those, you know, big names in digital media? Maybe we'll find out. 
Yep. As you mentioned Alphabet, I think it was Bernstein earlier in the week that said the Q4 print D looks safe, but lower margins are dead ahead as hiring ramps, investments in AR and VR. And that would sort of fit with the theme we've seen so far. And that is that revenue is pretty solid, but those margins are, are under pressure for a variety of reasons. Yeah, a whole lot to look to. And, and meanwhile, if you're looking for a stock that is out of this world, Deutsche Bank says keep an eye on Rocket Lab, an aerospace manufacturer and satellite launch service provider, naming it a top pick for 2022 this morning, calling it, quote, the most promising rocket launch company after SpaceX. Shares are down big from their highs, though. Stay with us. We generally ignore Twitter beefs, at, at least on air. We laugh about them in private. But one conversation bubbling up to the surface this week, particularly relevant for a CNBC audience, it's got to do with work calendar productivity. So this is an app called Calendly, valued at more than $3 billion, based in Atlanta. The company uh, allows you to send a link to somebody. They can find an open slot on your calendar. There's group scheduling. Anyway, Sam Lesson, who has been on the show, an investor, kicked off an entire discourse of Calendly hate. Basically, how dare you send me this link and assume that your schedule is more important than mine. He described the process as insulting. Now, CEOs and investors are weighing in. Perhaps the biggest takeaway, Calendly says it has seen, quote, a huge spike in signups. Uh, the CEO de-thanked Sam uh, for kicking <laughs> off that conversation and for the many portfolio companies of his that use the service. Jen, I, I can't stop laughing because I don't know anyone other than VCs that uses Calendly, or so I thought <laughs> until I was informed that John Fort uses Calendly. You've never sent me one, John, um, but <laughs> you, you're on the other side. Rarely does an app create so much, so many feelings on both sides. You should try you it stand out, behind it. You should try it out. I, I schedule my Fort Knox interviews over Calendly. My productivity is through the roof. Carl, do you use it? It's, no, no, and nor will I, uh, although this, uh, this new world of hybrid work is, is getting more interesting <laughs> all the time. Uh, guys, we're up 215, obviously session highs, just about 15 points back from 4,400. Enjoy some football this weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.